Hello and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Wednesday, February 7th. I'm your reader, Mary Neff. Before we move to the front page, we'll take a brief look at the weather. Today, we're going to be going up to a high of 48, a low of 41. Little breezy, winds from the south-southeast, 10 to 20 miles an hour. Tomorrow, they are expecting increasingly windy conditions with a little rain, high of 54, low of 38, winds a little bit higher from the south, 12 to 25. And then on Friday, breezy and mild with clouds and sun, a high of 45, low of 26, and that wind will be again 12 to 25, but from the west-south west. If you're wondering how this compares with our normals, the normal high around this time is 28 with a low of 12. But in 1904, there was a record high of 58 on this day and a record low in 1982 of minus 18 degrees. Well, let's dig into the front page of the Telegraph Herald. We have this story from Elizabeth Kelsey titled Fire Department Call Numbers Drop Slightly. The Dubuque Fire Department handled about 50 fewer calls in 2023 than in each of the two previous years, according to city officials. The department fielded 7,753 calls last year, a decrease of 0.6 percent from the 7,800 calls recorded in both 2022 and 2021. Fire Chief Amy Scheller said, Our trends are pretty stable as far as what we're seeing for call volume. Of the total calls received in 2023, 81% were for EMS-related needs. That represented a similar number to 2022, when 80.6 of recorded calls were for EMS, and a slight increase from 2021, when that percentage was 78.9. The department also reported 272 fire-related calls in 2023, an increase of a little over 37% uh, from the 2022 volume, along with 244 calls for hazardous materials and 960 miscellaneous incidents. Last year, the fire department responded to 68 cardiac arrest cases, just one more than the total uh, responded to in 2022. In both years, 11 of those people survived, or about 16 percent. In 2023, 10 cardiac arrest cases included bystanders performing CPR prior to emergency responders arriving, compared to 13 such incidents in 2022 with bystanders performing CPR. Scheller said she thinks the department could and should do more to encourage community members to begin CPR before first responders arrive saying, I'm not sure what's preventing those numbers from increasing, but you would be amazed at the positive outcome when a community member does get involved. We would really like to see that someone is beginning CPR when someone is pulseless, and we love to see when a community member puts an automatic external defibrillator into play. The department also reported improvement in firefighter recruitment in 2023. The city currently has two firefighter positions vacant, fewer than the seven vacant positions at the department when Scheller arrived in June 2022. The fire department currently has five recruits on board who will be hired over the course of the next few months. So, by the time the next firefighter academy program ends in June, Scheller anticipates the department will be fully staffed. 
She said key to the recruitment process has been a new city policy allowing the fire department to offer more firefighter positions to candidates than are budgeted for in the current fiscal year in anticipation of future resignations and retirements. By the time those new employees have finished their months-long training and certification process, they can fill any vacancies that have opened up. Scheller continued, We have a list of civil service-eligible recruits that's good for one year, and being able to pull as many people from that list right out of the gate is important because it's competitive. Most of these individuals are testing for other departments. Sometimes whichever department offers the position first is where they'll go. And once they're established in the department, they typically will stay, end quote. Another hiring policy change that has helped boost recruitment allows emergency medical technicians to apply for fire department positions instead of the department only accepting applications from certified paramedics. EMTs still are required to obtain their paramedic certification within two years of their hiring. Other area fire departments also saw fairly stable call volumes in 2023. The East Dubuque, Illinois Fire Department received 371 calls last year, an increase of just three from the 368 reported in 2022, according to Chief Joe Heim. But the department's patient contacts dropped from 319 in 2022 to 293 last year, a decrease of about 8 percent. Heim said, we had more general service calls for things like hazardous materials, natural gas leaks, odors in residences, car accidents, and things like that. In terms of staffing, he said the volunteer department is pretty healthy roster-wise, but still occasionally struggles to have numerous members available for certain calls, saying, quote, the biggest thing is the availability of people with jobs and family life and all that. We're still able to respond to all of our calls, just not always with all the manpower we'd like, end quote. Darlington, Wisconsin Fire Chief Scott Buchan said his department also saw stable call numbers over the past two years, with about 70 calls in both 2023 and 2022. He said, That's pretty close to our average. Our EMS assists have gone up some in recent years for lifting assists and stuff like that. Also on the front page is this story from Grace Nyland titled Cannabis Company Purchases Building in Millwork District. An area cannabis business has purchased a well-known building in Dubuque's historic Millwork District. River Bluff Collective recently acquired the Magnolia Building at 168 East 10th Street, which most recently operated as a wedding venue and restaurant. The space will open as a retail area and bar for River Bluff this spring. River Bluff co-owner D.J. Leffelholtz said the millwork is just a beautiful area of town. We wanted to put our flag down here and establish a home for the company in downtown Dubuque. River Bluff Collective, which has offices in Dubuque, sells a variety of hemp and THC-infused products and has a retail location in East Dubuque, Illinois, a dispensary in the Chicago area, and a shop selling THC beverages and other products in Platteville, Wisconsin. It is owned by Leffelholtz and his siblings, Joe and Ali Gansimer. The Dubuque retail space will include a variety of the company's edibles, drinks, topicals, and more that are under the Iowa-mandated limit of 0.3% THC by dry weight. 
The goal is to open the retail and bar space in March, pending state approval of necessary licenses and permits. DJ Leffelholt said there also will be a social area available for public gatherings or hangouts, where the company's THC-infused drinks will be available on tap. Other portions of the building will be dedicated to office and manufacturing space. He said, this is something new for Dubuque. We're looking forward to continuing to talk about our brand and advocating for cannabis and hemp consumption in a safe and healthy way, end quote. Bobby Konaru, who owned the Magnolia, said he bought the Millwork building five years ago with plans to reimagine and eventually sell the historic space. It previously operated as a workshop and warehouse for Jim Avery, an ornamental artist who died in 2015. After undergoing a top-to-bottom renovation, the building entered its second life as a wedding and events venue, Conaru said. The Magnolia Building also previously housed Bread and Vine Dubuque, a contemporary French-American fusion restaurant that closed in October. Conaru said, I'm grateful to have been part of the millwork transformation. It was beautiful to see this old, underutilized building turn into a space where people created a lot of important memories, end quote. Conaru said it was bittersweet to sell the building, but that he believes River Bluff will be an exciting addition to the downtown area. He added that the Magnolia stopped accepting bookings in advance of the sale, so there are no outstanding reservations on the space. River Bluff Operations Manager Rachel Brown said the company is excited to further its connections in and around the Millwork District. Already, the company collaborates with nearby Seven Hills Brewing Company and has been a frequent vendor at the Millwork Night Market. Brown said, We're ready to breathe a little bit of new life into the space. We're all about connecting with the community and lessening the stigma around cannabis use. And the last story on the the Telegraph Herald's front page is from Eric Hogstrom, titled Conference Helps Connect Farmers. Dateline Piasta. Barry Fisher said there's no group of people better equipped to address soil health and water quality issues than farmers, saying there's no more innovative people on the planet than farmers. They've been building this country the whole way, end quote. Fisher of Greencastle, Indiana, is president of Fisher Soil Health and served as one of the keynote speakers Tuesday during the inaugural Farmer to Farmer Conference held by Dubuque County Watersheds. The conference drew more than 80 people to Northeast Iowa Community College's Piasta campus. Topics included soil health, crop diversification, cover crops, and regenerative agricultural practices, farming and grazing methods that rebuilt soil organic matter, and restore degraded soil biodiversity. Fisher said improved soil health has positive ramifications for other aspects of agriculture and the environment, saying, If we can get the soil functioning back to its inherent potential, we can build back the living ecosystem that helps filter water, store water, cycle nutrients, and ultimately put a lot of the CO2 carbon back into the soil where it does the most good, end quote. Dubuque County Watersheds Director Eric Schmeckel said the importance of the topics covered at the conference extend beyond the agricultural community, saying it's important for everyone in Dubuque County to understand the importance that land use decisions in agriculture have on water quality, flooding impacts, wildlife, economics, and recreation. Having clean water, having open space for the public to enjoy, all of these things matter to people, 
End quote. Brian Doherty of Dubuque is a consultant with Understanding Ag, who also delivered a keynote address at the conference. He said such events can link like-minded agricultural producers, saying a lot of farmers are out there working on soil health and trying to be more regenerative, but they might not necessarily have any friends or neighbors who are doing that. So this is a way for farmers from around the area or even from farther away to get together and share ideas and information, end quote. Schmeckel said Tuesday's conference grew out of a developing network among local farmers. He said it's really an opportunity for farmers to lead and grow a network among themselves, focusing on conservation, regenerative agriculture, and other topics that are relevant to them, end quote. Tim Daly, who farms near Bankston, Iowa, said farmer networking can help produce better results. He said, you share your experiences, you share your good ones and your bad ones. You will tell other people where you made a mistake because you don't want them to make that same mistake. It's a support system, and as a farmer, we have to support each other. Schmeckel said the regenerative agriculture topics discussed at the conference are meant to boost local farming, saying everything we talk about starts with profitability for farmers. If they're not profitable, it's not sustainable. On the second page of the Telegraph Herald, the Dubuque and Tri-State News Briefs uh, are some interesting ones here, I hope for you. News in brief. First, police body found in B Branch Creek. Dubuque police said a body was found Tuesday morning in B Branch Creek, but they believe no danger exists to the public. A press release states that police were notified at about 9.20 a.m. yesterday that a person using a B Branch trail had seen what appeared to be a body in the creek near Romberg Avenue. Police responded to the area and were able to identify the deceased person as Dale A. Hines, that's H-E-I-N-Z-E, age 65, of Dubuque. Hines's remains were sent to the state crime lab in Ankeny for an autopsy, the release states. That release also references an investigation into the death remains is ongoing, but police believe the incident was isolated and does not pose any risk to the general public. Police said no additional information is available at this time. From East Dubuque, Illinois, an East Dubuque nurse has agreed to surrender her Iowa nursing license after being accused of providing health care services while under the influence. Sheena Streckwald recently agreed to the suspension in a settlement with the Iowa Board of Nursing, according to board documents. She is not allowed to apply for a license reinstatement for at least one year and must disclose the suspension to all future nursing employers before starting a new job. Board officials had charged Streckweld with practicing nursing while under the influence on April 28th of 2023. Board documents do not state which hospital Streckwald worked at other than to say it was an inpatient Iowa hospital and that she worked there from February 1988 to May 2023. According to board documents, Streckwell does not admit the allegation, but agreed to the suspension to resolve the matter and avoid the burden, expense, delay, and uncertainties of a contested case hearing. Next, out of Manchester, a country artist with 11 number one hits on the Billboard Country Airplay chart will headline a Thursday night concert at the Delaware County Fair this summer. Chris Young will perform July 11th, fair officials announced Tuesday. Doors will open at 7 p.m. and the show starts at 8.30. Tickets will go on sale at 9 a.m. this Saturday, February 10th at Delaware 
cofair.com, DelawareCoFair.com. Track tickets cost $50 and pit tickets cost $60. Young has run, won two country music television awards and 11 of his songs have reached the top spot on the country airplay chart. Some of those include Voices, At the End of a Bar, Losing Sleep, and Getting You Home. The Delaware County Fair will be held July 8th to 14th at the Delaware County Fairgrounds, 200 East Acer Street in Manchester. Next, from the police log, it looks like, uh, Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Departments have reported these issues. Let's see. Michael T. Frey, age 28, of 231 West 2nd Street, number 2, was arrested at 2.13 p.m. Monday at Mercy 1 Dubuque Medical Center, 250 Mercy Drive, on charges of third-degree criminal mischief, fourth-degree criminal mischief, interference with official acts, and two counts of first-degree harassment. No other details are provided. And now for an article that might be a little bit more pleasant. Athletes kick off Special Olympics Illinois Winter Games in Kalina. This is written by Maya Bond. Dateline Galena, of course. The crack of a starting gun, followed by roaring cheers, signaled the start of the first event in the 43rd annual Special Olympics Illinois Winter Games in Galena. More than 325 athletes came to the tri-state area to compete in the games, which began Tuesday and go through Thursday, February 8th. They included snowshoe and alpine skiing events. Nate Henry, director of sports and competition for Special Olympics Illinois, said about 275 athletes were set to participate in the snowshoe event. The Winter Games are the first of 13 state championships, Henry said. In order to compete at the state championships, athletes must have won a gold medal at a regional competition. Crowds gathered close to the snowshoe course as athletes sped through an open field at the Eagle Ridge Resort and Spa Tuesday afternoon. The alpine skiing portion of the games takes place at Chestnut Mountain Resort south of Galena. The lack of snow didn't slow down racers who tackled the course. They met coaches and family members after their heat races to take off the clunky snowshoes and celebrate their accomplishments. Special Olympics Illinois is a nonprofit organization providing year-round training and competitions in 18 sports to thousands of athletes with intellectual disabilities. Deb Fornoff of Washington was at the Tuesday snowshoe event to watch her son, Brad Fornoff, race. She said Brad has participated in Special Olympics Illinois since elementary school, and he is now 33. Fornoff said decades of involvement with Special Olympics Illinois has been a great experience, and her son has formed strong friendships with his teammates over the years, saying, They have fun. They look forward to it. For us as parents, we look forward to it, too. End quote. Sandy Christ of Metamora said her son, Thomas, has been involved since high school and is now 36. Both Christ and Fornoff's sons are part of the same team, the Tazewood Warriors. I hope I said that right, Tazewood. Uh, Christ said, or Chris said, in events like the Winter Games allow their kids the rare opportunity to stay at a hotel with their coaches and friends without their parents, saying, it's also just very good for my son because he's getting his exercise. Otherwise, he'd be sitting around probably a lot, not moving. Our coach has practiced twice a week, so we're benefiting from that, end quote. Miana Holloway, age 18, of South Holland, raced in the snowshoe event Tuesday and said she also participates in track events, but she likes all her sports equally. 
Veronica Guerrero, Holloway's coach, is also a special ed teacher and enjoys coaching because it gives her the opportunity to spend time with her students outside of class. Guerrero said, Mayana will be one of the torch carriers in the parade, so I'm excited for that, end quote. Michael Cobbs, age 35, of Chicago, raced in the snowshoe event after much preparation. He's been to Galena for the Winter Games about three times, he said, and also said, I've been practicing really hard for this. The story is accompanied by two pictures, one of competitors riding the chairlift, looking like they're having a lovely time there, and one of Justin Othick competing in the giant slalom time trials. We also have a story from Jake Bourgeois, uh, apparently a reprint from the Cascade Pioneer, and it's titled Local Chapter of Women's Ag Group Finds Footing, Dateline Monticello. On January 30th, 2023, listening posts were held in Monticello to establish a new Women, Land, and Legacy, called WLL, joint chapter for Jones and Delaware Counties. As the one-year anniversary of those meetings approached, the chapter reflected on lessons learned and got ready to kick things off in earnest for 2024. WLL is a locally-led nonprofit group that spans the country as a resource for women in agriculture. It is a bottom-up USDA education and outreach program designed to empower women landowners and farmers to be agents of positive change in their communities through active participation, educational sessions, and networking opportunities. It provides participants opportunities to inform agencies about what their needs are and bridges partnerships between government, nonprofit, and faith-based organizations and community groups. The goal for the chapter at the outset was to host at least a few events a year for women covering topics that local members were interested in learning more about. The first event held last June was a pasture and grazing field day at Lubbin Farm outside of Monticello. The second event, held January 11th at Oh So Good Winery in Dyersville, covered farm succession. Addie Manternock, a member of the group's planning committee, said that was the most popular topic. People really wanted to hear Steve Bohr talk and hear about farm succession, end quote. The topic is something Manchinock has often talked about. I've worked with different farmers here that say they haven't been involved because their husband takes care of everything, but when he passes away, there's kind of a lack of information, so I would like to be someone they trust, end quote. Manchinock said the farm succession event, which attracted around 60 people, is something the chapter plans to host every year or two, given its popularity. With the chapter being split between two counties, it has a wider breadth of possible locations to host events. With two under its belt already, the organization's schedule is set to accelerate for the rest of the year. On April 7th, it will be hosting a bread-making class. Classes at 1 and 3 p.m. at Brew and Brew in Dyersville. The class was so well received that additional classes have been slated at the same times on April 21st in Manchester at Franklin Street Brewing Company. Manternock said that was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing, and we had like 800 people interested in the event. That wasn't one of the things that was on our list of events that people were interested in, but we're also trying to do a variety of things to get our word out there. 
Other future events include a Women and Soil event at the Field of Dreams, June 8th, a Mommy and Me Flower Farm Tour, and Build a Bouquet at Muddy Boots Flowers in Monticello on July 29th, a Fall Farm to Table event in Jones County, and a return to Oh So Good Winery for some sort of winter event. Information on the latest event types can be found at the Women, Land, and Legacy Jones and Delaware Counties, Iowa Facebook page. A year in, the group is still working to advertise itself and build relationships. In addition to joining the chapter, sharing or joining events, the group is on the lookout for various community partners to host events or donations to help cover speaker cost. Finally, Mantanox says we're definitely open to ideas. Now, if you or someone you know is interested in this project, you can email DelawareJonesWLL at gmail.com or you can Contact Mantanoc at USDA Anamosa Service Center. The phone number is 319-462-3517, extension 3. Well, on this February 7th, the 38th day of 2024, with 328 days left in the year, let's take a look at some things in history that happened on February 7th. In 1857, a French court acquitted author Gustave Flaubert of obscenity for his serialized novel, Madame Bovary. In 1943, the government abruptly announced that wartime rationing of shoes made of leather would go into effect in two days, limiting consumers to buying three pairs per person per year. That rationing was lifted in October of 1945. In 1948, General Dwight D. Eisenhower resigned as the U.S. Army Chief of Staff and was succeeded by General Omar Bradley. In 1962, President John Kennedy imposed a full trade embargo on Cuba. In 1964, get ready, the Beatles arrived to screaming fans at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport to begin their first American tour. In 1971, women in Switzerland gained the right to vote through a national referendum 12 years after a previous attempt failed. In 1984, Space Shuttle Challenger astronauts Bruce McCandless II and Robert L. Stewart went on the first untethered spacewalk, which lasted nearly six hours In 1985, U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration agent Enrique Kiki Camarena was kidnapped in Guadalajara, Mexico by drug traffickers who tortured and then murdered him. And in 1991, Jean-Bertrand Aristide was inaugurated as the first democratically elected president of Haiti. He was overthrown by the military the following September. A brief reminder that you are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Wednesday, February 7th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now we'll turn to today's obituaries. This is my first time reading the Telegraph Herald. I've read for others, but I apologize if I don't cover the obituaries the way that others do. I just am doing it the way that I know how. So we will start with briefer notices, I guess. Robert E. Barton of Mauston, M-A-U-S-T-O-N, Wisconsin. Visitation will be held 
10 to 11.45 a.m. Saturday, February 10th at Bear Funeral Home in 1491 Main Street. The service will be noon Saturday at the funeral home. From Burton, Wisconsin, David J. Bus. Visitation will be from 9 to 11 a.m. Saturday, February 10th at Martin Schwartz Funeral Home and Crematory in Lancaster, Wisconsin, with the funeral service at 11 a.m. Saturday at the funeral home and a celebration of life at the Burton Town Hall following the service and burial. From Shellsburg, Wisconsin, Marilyn J. Humphrey. Visitation will be Saturday the 10th from 9 to 11 a.m. at the Hawden Shield Funeral Home and Cremation Services in Cuba City. And then the service will be at 11 a.m. Saturday at the funeral home. In Dubuque, Mary Jensen. Uh, Her visitation will be from 10 to 11 a.m. Friday, February 9th at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Dubuque with the service uh, at 11 a.m. Friday at the church. Also in Dubuque, James G. Kennedy. Uh, Visitation will be this Friday, February 9th from 4 to 7 p.m. at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road, with the funeral service at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, February 10th at the funeral home. The last short notice is for Mary M. Roddy, R-O-D-D-Y, of Dubuque. Mass of Christian burial was held at 11 a.m. today at St. Columkill Catholic Church. There are a few additional notices that are somewhere between an obituary and a funeral notice that we find for Florence F. Poles, P-U-L-S, age 99 of Dubuque. She died Sunday, February 4th. Visitation will be held from 1 to 4 p.m. Sunday, February 11th at Bear Funeral Home on Main Street and then services will be at 11 a.m. Monday, February 12th at St. Joseph the Worker Catholic Church. Burial will be in St. Peter and Paul Cemetery in Sherrill. Next, Larry Putman of Bellevue, age 68, died Monday, February 5th. Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday, February 8th, and from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Friday, February 9th, at Hockman Miller Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Bellevue, followed by services at 11 a.m. at St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Bellevue. From Stockton, Illinois, Glenda Young, age 94, died Sunday, February 4th. Visitation will be from 10 a.m. to noon at Herman Funeral Home in Stockton, and services will follow immediately thereafter. Interment will be at Ladies Union Cemetery in Stockton. And from Galena, Patricia Woodard, age 84, died Monday, January 1st. A celebration of life will be held at 11 a.m. Friday, February 9th at Galena Bible Church. Furlong Funeral Chapel of Galena is assisting the family. And now covering some excerpts from other obituaries, Sharon M. Hamill, age 83, of Dubuque, passed away Sunday, February 4th at Bethany Home. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. with a rosary service at 6.30 p.m. Uh, tomorrow, February 8th, at the Egelhoff, Siegert, and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory on JFK Road in Dubuque. The Mass of Christian Burial will be at 10 a.m. Friday, February 9th, at St. Columkill Catholic Church. Burial will follow in Mount Olivet Cemetery.
She had a large family, and they say she handled life with resilience, serenity, faith, gentleness, and starch in her spine. The family does issue a public thank you to the staff at Bethany Home, Hospice of Dubuque, especially Angela, Dr. Chad Nochtman and his staff, and Julie Ehlinger, ARNP, and her assistant, Michaela. The Egelhoff Siegert and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory is entrusted with the arrangements. Our next obituary is for Janice C. Sauter, S-A-U-T-T-E-R, age 71, of Dubuque, who died Sunday, February 4th. There will be no public services. Egelhoff, Siegert, and Casper Funeral Home and Crematory is entrusted with the arrangements, and they discuss her having been a dietary aide at Care Initiatives State Center for over 34 years. Memorials may be given to Linked by Pink Breast Cancer Research, uh, they also issue a special thank you to N and D Taylor, Dr. John Whalen, Dr. Gretchen Hong, Jamie Hammeran, DNP, ARNP, and the staff at Finley Hospital for their exceptional care. Roger Holdridge, age 84, of Dubuque, passed away Monday, February 5th at Luther Manor Grand Meadows. They are having what they call a happy hour visitation on Friday, February 9th from 3 until the 5.30 p.m. farewell toast memorial service at Egelhoff Siegert and Casper Funeral Home. Again, John Kennedy Road in debut. They talk about him being an avid fan of the Chicago Bears and the Iowa Hawkeyes. He also enjoyed trips to Florida and going to the dog track on Wednesday with his brothers. The family thanks the staff at Luther Man Manor Grand Meadows for their care of Roger and says memorials may be made to the Dubuque Humane Society. Our next obituary is for Thomas C. Moss, M-A-A-S, age 78, of Dubuque, who died Saturday on February 3rd. Visitation will be from 9 a.m. until 11.45 a.m. this Friday, February 9th, at Hoffman, Schneider, and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory. The funeral service will then be at that funeral home beginning at noon on Friday, the 9th. Burial will be in Mount Calvary Cemetery in Dubuque. They talk about him having retired from John Deere Dubuque Works in 1994 after 30 years and then driving an RTA bus and motor coach bus before shifting careers to become an over-the-road trucker. He was especially proud of his 41-year membership in AA, where he touched many lives through his gift of sobriety. The family thanks Hospice of Dubuque, Dr. Herman, and the Iowa City Hemophilia Clinic for all the years of care. The paper also includes an obituary for Richard D. Belkin, age 81, of Cuba City, who passed away Sunday, February 4th at UW-Madison Hospital in Madison. A memorial service will be held at a later date. Burial with military honors will be held at St. Rose Cemetery in Cuba City. He worked for many years as a meat cutter for Weber's Meats in Cuba City, enjoyed high school sports and also the Chicago Cubs, the Packers, and the Wisconsin Badgers, but especially time spent with family and friends. Hodden Shield Funeral Home and Cremation Service in Cuba City is serving the family. From Galena, Richard J. Peters, age 88, passed away Sunday, February 4th at Galena Staus Senior Care Community. The funeral will be held at 11 a.m. Friday, February 9th at the Furlong Funeral Chapel in Galena. Friends may call there from 4 to 7 p.m. tomorrow, Thursday, February 8th. And burial will be in Greenwood Cemetery in 
Galena. He worked for many years for the Galena Aluminum and Brass Factory, and then in retirement operated RJ's Recycling for many years. The family asks to extend a special thank you to the staff at Galena Stow Senior Care Community and Hospice of Dubuque, saying your care and kindness will never be forgotten. And the final obituary for today is from Marilyn, for Marilyn Pierce, who died at age 70. Uh, she was from Hanover, Illinois, and she passed away at FHN Memorial Hospital in Freeport, Illinois, on Thursday, February 1st. They say that she liked the simple things in life, finding peace, being close to nature, and working with her hands, and concludes the obituary by saying, keeping it simple with Marilyn's wishes, no public services will be held. Well, let's take a look at some sports now. We have a girls prep basketball story by Danny Miller, and it's titled Cascade Rallies to Beat Rival Trailblazers, Dateline, Dyersville. Pencil it in this time of year, a growing trend between bitter rivals continued on Tuesday as Class 2A number 11 ranked Cascade rebounded from a dismal shooting effort through the first three quarters and stormed back to stun Dyersville Beckman Catholic 43-38 in overtime, spoiling the Trailblazers' senior night at Beckman High School. Beckman won a double overtime thriller to close the regular season last year and then defeated Cascade in a regional semifinal contest. Cascade's Addison Frakes said, I think last year really fueled us. Those results last year really pushed us to stay together as a team throughout, focus on a defense, and know the shots were eventually going to start falling, end quote. Now, one and one against each other this year, a rubber match could be forthcoming in a Class 2A regional quarterfinal. Should Beckman beat Lisbon in its first-round contest on Saturday, the rivals would meet for a third time this season in Cascade next Tuesday. Behind a big fourth-quarter effort, Frake led Cascade with 12 points. Molly Rowling hit four clutch free throws late and chipped in 11, and Harper Sconsa knocked down two late three-pointers among her 11 points. When you break it down that we missed seven point blank layups and we were one for 16 from three, I thought we played soft in the first half, Michael Sconza said. I challenged them on that and they finally responded. They responded very well, end quote. Kaylee Lehman had 12 of her team-high 16 points in a big second half for Beckman, which has now dropped 7 of 8. Fellow senior Reese Osterhaus added 13. Lehman scored 4 points and Osterhaus 2 free throws staked the Trailblazers to a 9-6 lead after the first quarter. Rowling hit a three-pointer to tie it up at 9-9 to open the second quarter. It was the Cougars' lone basket and only points of the frame. Stuck in a horrendous shooting rut and aided by an aggressive Blazers defense, the Cougars went scoreless over the final 7 minutes and 22 seconds of the second quarter. Meanwhile, Beckman carried a 10-0 run into the break. Osterhaus and Paige Fangman contributed four points each during the spurt, and Ellie Brown's floating jumper with less than a minute remaining gave the Blazers a 19-9 lead at halftime. Lehman netted seven points and Osterhaus five as the duo combined for all 12 of Beckman's third quarter points to give the Blazers a 31-20 lead after three quarters. Frake said just one of those games where we didn't come out too hard and it all fell apart. We were forcing everything instead of looking for good shots, end quote. 
They put it back together at just the right time. Cascade netted the first 12 points of the first quarter and flipped the first half script, rendering Beckman scoreless through 620. Rowling's two free throws gave the Cougars their first lead, 32-31, going back to the game's opening minutes. The Cougars went up 36-34 on Frakes Drive with 44 seconds left before Lehman's jumper at 025 sent it to overtime. Now we'll see how boys basketball did. Same two uh, teams. Boys basketball is uh, under the title A Grind It Out Victory, also by Danny Miller. And he says, again, Dyersville Dateline, Cascade entered as one of the state's hottest teams. Dyersville Beckman Catholic came into Tuesday having lost nine straight. As far as Cascade's Nathan Schmockmel is concerned, all that pregame hype can be tossed out the window when the two rivals meet. Every single time we play Beckman, you know it's going to be a war, Nathan said. They were up in our shorts and nothing came easy tonight. So we definitely had to battle for everything we got. And at the end of the day, we just had to grind it out, end quote. Cascade led for nearly the entirety, but couldn't shake off a spirited Beckman effort until midway through the fourth quarter, pulling away from the upset-minded Trailblazers 61-51 at Beckman High School. In his first prolonged game action since suffering a concussion early in the fourth quarter on January 20th, Shockmill provided Cascade a huge lift with 14 points, saying it felt great to be fully back. I came out tonight and I was able to play loose and just be myself and play with confidence, end quote. Jackson Lawrence had 22 points and Mick Hoffman added 12 in another balanced effort for the Cougars, who have now won 10 of their last 11 games. Cascade coach Nate McMullen said, The spreading of the wealth is a big thing for us. On any given night, it could be any number of guys for us. That's a big push for us as far as continuing to play as a team, end quote. The Trailblazers got big-time efforts from Max Oberbrockling and Eli Klusner as they were celebrating on senior night. Oberbrockling recorded a game-high 23 points in a monster interior effort, while Klusner added 16 and was a pest defensively. Cascade led 15-12 to after one quarter and built it to a seven-point advantage midway through the second quarter. Beckman, though, wouldn't let the Cougars pull away and trailed only 29-23 to at the break. McMullen said, it's Cascade, Beckman. It's always going to be a battle every time we match up. I thought for the most part we did a nice job of staying the course and doing what we had to do, end quote. Omer Rockling's basket early in the third got Beckman within 31-27, to before Cascade spurted off an 8-2 run to build a nine-point advantage. Still, the Blazers were able to trail by just eight with one quarter remaining. Oberbrockling's drive to the hoop to open the third made it 42-36, but again Cascade slammed the door. Lawrence scored seven points during a 9-2 run that put the Cougars up 51-38 with 440 remaining. Shockmel added four more quick points to make it 57-42 at 219. He said, That stretch just showed a lot about our resiliency and character. We're never going to back down. We're always going to give it our best effort and fight until the final horn, end quote. Beckman closes its regular season slate with a home game Thursday against Bellevue. Cascade travels to Maquoketa on Friday for its regular season finale.
And let's take a look at the local and area roundup. This appears to be staff reports from uh, the Telegraph Herald. Connor Glasgow already owned one all-time record. Now he has another. Glasgow scored 15 points to become Galena's all-time leading scorer as the Pirates beat South Beloit 71-47 to on Tuesday night in South Beloit. Glasgow entered the night needing just two points to break the career record of Tom Furlong, a mark that had stood for 40 years. He already owns the program's career record for rebounds, taking down a 40-year-old record. Caden Hauber added 15 points and Drew Koenigs had 12 for the Pirates. We also have a result. Dubuque Senior 74, Madison East 34. It was at Madison. Tevin Schultz scored 22 points and Jacob Williams had 21 as the Class 4A number 5 ranked Rams rolled to a victory over Madison East. At Epworth, it was Western Dubuque over Waterloo West 58-50. Cedar Falls beat Dubuque Wallert 64-44. Linmar 83, Dubuque Hempstead 53. Bellevue Marquette beat Easton Valley decisively 74 to 29. It's a pretty big victory for Prairie Deschene over Cuba City 61 to 47. Now in girls basketball, Western Dubuque beat Waterloo West 48 to 41. Cedar Falls topped Dubuque Wall at 71 to 54. It was Linmar over Dubuque Hempstead 46 to 36. And Makokata decisively beat Bellevue 67 to 35. Platteville 63, Lacrosse Logan 37. Mineral Point uh, defeated Southwestern 71 to 38. Cuba City took on Boscobel and beat them 78 to 36. Belmont 61, Benton 20, Galena 60, and Stockton 28. In girls bowling, Dubuque Senior took on Linmar and beat them 24 15 to 1998. In men's volleyball, Clark 3, Edgewood 1. I see here in the Telegraph Herald something that might be of interest to you or someone you know. Could you be Galena's first poet laureate? Applications for Galena's poet laureate are being accepted through Wednesday, February 28th. Now, to get an application online, you would go to galenalibrary.org and then it's galenas.poet-laureate for an application. Or you can download a paper application and then complete the uh, required details. The poet laureate will be announced during National Poetry Month in April. The selection committee will invite finalists for a personal interview and poetry reading between Friday, March 22nd and Thursday, April 24th, and then make its decision on Thursday, April 11th. The Poet Laureate term from 24 to 2026 will begin Wednesday, May 1st. Here are the criteria to be considered as Galena's first Poet Laureate. You must be a full-time Galena resident and remain a full-time resident for that entire two-year term. Be at least 25 years of age. Once appointed, you should be willing to produce at least three additional or three original works of art during the term. Attend at least one city council meeting each year to perform a poem. Collaborate on programs throughout the community that could include readings, workshops, installations, projects, or consulting. Enhance the community experience with poetry through community festivals parades, ribbon cuttings, grand openings, and public cultural events, and create something lasting for the city, a mural, 
a scholarship, or some other project that will last beyond your two-year term. I see here some additional news briefs embedded into other sections of the paper. Uh, first, we have a notice about something that will be coming up in the summer, but you or someone you know may want to plan. Big Band Orchestra plans return to Dubuque. The Glenn Miller Orchestra will perform at 7 p.m. on June 5th at Five Flags Theater, the venue's announced. Tickets will be available starting Friday, February 9th. I'm sure that's why they put it in now. At the Five Flags box office, which is open Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. and 2 to 5 5 p.m. or online at Ticketmaster.com. The orchestra previously performed in Dubuque in 2019, 2021, and 2022. Now, something happening a little uh, sooner is the uh, Dubuque County event this weekend will feature dancing and music. The Buddy Holly Dance will be held from 7 to 11 p.m. Saturday, February 10th at the Dubuque County Fairgrounds on Old Highway Road. Doors will open at 5.30 and free dance lessons will be provided by Adams Dance Connection from 6 to 7 p.m. Contests will include a Peggy Sue look-alike, Best Dressed Couple, and Best 50s and 60s Dance. It's intended for adults ages 18 and older. Tickets are $7 per person and in advance or $9 at the door. You can get the tickets at the fairground or by calling 563 588-1406. There's also a notice here about free trees available through the Dyersville Library. Dyersville Public Library is participating in an initiative to provide kids with free trees to mark Earth Day. James Kennedy Public Library is involved in the annual Neighborhood Forest Free Tree Program, according to an online announcement. Since 2010, Neighborhood Forest has provided families with more than 50,000 trees. Trees from 6 to 12 inches in size will be delivered to the library, and families will be able to collect them around Earth Day, April 22nd. Planting instructions and species information will be emailed a few days prior to the trees arriving. If you want to apply, the deadline is March 15th, and you apply at tinyurl.com slash trees. Today's question to Ask the Telegraph Herald is, are empty prescription bottles recyclable? And Michelle London responds, the question specifically says, are empty pill and medicine bottles recyclable? If there is old or expired medicine in the bottles, how do I dispose of it before recycling the container? Pill and medicine bottles are most definitely recyclable, according to City of Dubuque Resource Management Supervisor Jake Jensen, who said prescription bottles can be recycled. Prescription containers and medicine bottles are marked with a 5, meaning they are made of poly polypropylene, the same material used to make plastic bottle caps, straws, and some food containers. Most curbside recycling programs, including the one in Dubuque, will accept recyclable material marked with any number from 1 to 5, including syrup bottles and medicine containers, if they are clean and empty. Jensen said that's the big thing. They have to be clean and dry, and they have to be made of rigid plastic and have a recycling symbol on them. Them. 
Kathleen Rusmussen, a pharmacy tech at Hardig's Drugs University's Avenue location in Dubuque, said some people may think the amber color of prescription bottles makes them ineligible for recycling, but that's not the case. She said prescription containers are made to keep light out, which can affect the efficacy of medications, but you can recycle them, and we want you to recycle them. In fact, we'll recycle them for you, she said. Hardig Drug accepts empty prescription bottles at any of its stores for recycling. The business will also accept empty, over-the-counter medication bottles and containers. Rasmussen said many pharmacies will take empty medication bottles and recycle them. Just give them a call and ask. As for emptying those medication bottles before recycling, Hartig can also help with that. Rasmussen said, we also take back meds that aren't being used or that are old. Discarded medication can be hazardous for pets or other animals who may break into trash cans, and flushing pills can often be hard on pipes and plumbing. And so the article concludes saying the guiding principle is that even with colored bottles, if the number on the bottom in the recycling symbol is a 1 through a 5, it is recycled. I'm learning to keep my eye out. The Telegraph Herald puts things in different places uh, as opposed to gathering them all together. Here's another opportunity for something to do. Uh, Lifestyle in short, Arts at Clark to host a night in Brazil. As part of its popular Arts at Clark series, Clark University, 1550 Clark Drive, will host a night in Brazil at 6.30 p.m. this coming Tuesday, February 13th in the Waller Atrium. Attendees will begin the evening by sampling iconic dishes from Brazil, curated by Clark University Dining Services. Some of the options include potato croquets with pulled chicken, black chick, black-eyed pea fritters with chimichurri, and three delicious desserts. Following appetizers and desserts, guests will move into Jansen Musical Hall for performances from Clark Ensembles and Foro Faucheau, a Madison, Wisconsin-based group that has been introducing the dance rhythms of northeastern Brazil to Midwestern American audiences since 2015. Accordionist and vocalist Brendan Lula started Foro Faucheau while studying ethnomusicology at University of Wisconsin-Madison. The group mixes folk sounds with more cosmopolitan grooves. The cost for the evening is $15, free for Clark University students and employees. You can get your tickets by calling 563-588-6550. And we'll close out with a morning smile. This is from Copenhagen, Denmark. It reads, not all heroes wear capes. Some don't wear anything at all. With only towels around their waists, patrons aboard a floating sauna in a Norwegian fjord rescued two people whose car had plunged into the water. The car appeared to have driven off the quay on Thursday at an area where ships dock at the foot of the Norwegian capital Oslo's picturesque medieval fortress and castle. A witness told the Norwegian VG newspaper that he saw the car stopped before it suddenly accelerated and ended up in the water. The paper reported the driver had thought the vehicle was in park when he hit the accelerator pedals. As the car went down, the two occupants escaped and were on the roof of the vehicle as the sauna raft headed toward them. Nikolai Nordahl, the skipper, told VG that I gave full throttle toward the people who came climbing out of the car and reached them just as the car went under. 
With good help from two of the guests, we got them up. They warmed up in the sauna, he said. The wooden sauna rafts that operate on the fjord in Oslo are electrically powered, allowing people to take part in the much-loved Scandinavian pastime in peace while enjoying the natural beauty of the area and perhaps taking a dip in the icy waters. The car was later recovered from the water. So, my goodness... They did their good deed for the day and gave those folks what I imagine was a happy memory. That does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Wednesday, February 7th. I've been your reader, Mary Neff. Been a pleasure to read with you. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thanks for listening. <music>